We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. I want to ask you the question as you turn there with me to Mark chapter 7. What's down in the well? Question mark. What's down in the well? Before I went to college, I worked in the oil field construction business for a summer. I want to tell you, I got an education before I got an education. <laughs> a lot of different ways. But I remember one day in the middle of summer, uh, a young guy, they put me down in a hole in a cistern, a water well. And I had to wear, because I was going to sandblast that cistern. Now imagine about the end of July in here in Texas, down in a water well underneath the ground. And I had to wear, I mean, it looked like a, a bee suit on steroids because I was going to spray that and sandblast it. And uh, I couldn't have that sand hitting me back. So I'm down in that hole thinking, uh, I can't wait to go to college because there's something better than this. I know out there, but why did I have to do that? That landowner, that property owner, owner wanted that cistern to be clean, to not have any insects or any filth inside there because when the water well was working and water came up in that cistern, he wanted it to be fit for use. He wanted to be able to drink that. He wanted it clean. I heard a preacher say a long, long time ago, and Jesus is going to show that in this passage here tonight. This is really not a real feel-good passage. Uh, if any of you ever read that book, Respectable Sins, uh, it kind of beats you up a little bit because it will change your attitude about some of the things that we just kind of nonchalantly think about in our life. But, but tonight, it's a wonderful passage because Jesus shows us what's deep down inside of humans and what to do about it. So the, the title of the message here tonight is what's down in the well with a question mark. But the answer before we get through is going to be this. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. So when I was in that cistern, that landowner wanted me to make sure it was clean because whatever that water came back in there and it grabbed all of the, 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 the residue and the, the insects and whatever was down in there what was down in the well came up in the bucket and he wanted it to be clean. God wants it to be clean in our lives too. Chapter seven, look at the first of that that Jared read to us. The Pharisees, aren't they a great group? They are just, in seminary, we actually had a, a man from Israel that grew up as a Jew there in Israel and he talked about the Pharisees today. They're more the blue collar leaders of uh, Israel. They are more the, the average common man uh, set aside in, as a leader in Israel. And the Pharisees were different than the Sadducees. They didn't agree on some things, but this is the group. How many of you have ever been in a church before and about six or seven people come to service, probably not in a large church, but in a smaller one, because you know everybody there. Six or seven new people come to the service that Sunday morning. What's happening? It's a pulpit committee. Because they're going to try and they're going to listen to your pastor preaching and they're going to see whether they want to call him to be the pastor of their church. I remember as a little boy, I could have told you everyone that was in our church service because we were all there every Sunday. And about five or six new people came in and I thought, who are they? And they were what was called a pulpit search committee. And they were coming to see our pastor to come steal him away is what they were going to do. 
Well, it says here, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him. This is not a pastor search committee. This is a, this is a group of spies. This is a group of people with not a good intent. They're trying to catch Jesus in his words. They're trying to find fault with Jesus so they can go back to their, their leaders, the Pharisees, and report to them. So just get that picture. The, the Pharisees and the scribes gathered around him. They're waiting. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear his parables. They can't deny the miracles. They're looking for some fault to, to uh, rebel against Christ. It says, when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is unwashed. I can't help but read that and think, is that not just like what we do here today? We try to find the fault in other people, no matter what it is. And that's what we, you remember that old song, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative? And what was the in-between? Something else? We accentuate the negative. Human nature tries to find fault. And here, these guys saw Jesus' disciples. Now, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, He's the Lord of the Sabbath, co-creator of the universe, and He is eating with His disciples, don't you think He knows how to keep them in line? But they look and they see, before they ate, they dared not wash their hands. Now, before I go any further, there's nothing wrong with washing your hands. I bet you've done that a lot the last year, haven't you? Probably 10 times as much as you've ever washed your hands in your life. But I want you to notice something about this. They have washed with impure hands, unwashed hands, and these spies, Pharisees, scribes are going to make a big deal out of it. Now, what's worse, impure hands or impure hearts? That's where Jesus is going to get real quickly in this passage. It's a whole lot important what's down in your heart than it is what you have on your hands. And he turns to him and he, 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 he sees, uh, I think about another verse in the scripture where Jesus said, they strain at a gnat and they swallow a camel. Isn't that a good word picture? We get so picky Heard a preacher preach a whole sermon on don't be a nitpicker. That word's not in the Bible, but it sure talks about it. Pointing out somebody else's faults, how easy it is to see their faults, magnify them, accuse them, separate, build a big wall in between us, point their fault out, tell everybody else about their faults. And you know, most of the time, it, it's not a fault at all. It may be a difference of you in some way, and that's what we're going to see as we get a little bit further. Uh, why is it, though, that we can see other people's faults so easily and we don't see our own as much? Jesus said it like this. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and you got a log inside your own eye? He knew human nature and he knew that that's the way we were. The word ablution, A-B-L-U-T-I-O-N, means washing. In the Old Testament, Jews had ceremonial washings. We know in the New Testament, the, the uh, new covenant in the church, 
God is going to do away with a lot of the things of the Old Testament. Not everything, but he's going to do away with the ceremonial acts of the Old Testament law. You and I do not have to go through all of the ceremony that the priests did of the Old Testament, that the people did. Uh, He's going to do away with the sacrificial part of the law of the Old Testament. We are not commanded to go go kill a boat, a a bull or a goat or two turtle doves. God changed the sacrificial part of the Old Testament law. And now, because we've had one sacrifice for all time, who is that? Jesus. We don't have to have the blood of bulls and goats. In fact, the Bible says it's impossible for that blood to forgive us of our sins. We got a new sacrifice once and for all, and we don't have to do those sacrifices anymore. Now, the moral aspect of the law is still in place. When God said don't kill, he still means don't kill. He hasn't removed that part of it. So keep that in mind. Jesus is going to change. God the Father is going to change the ceremonial act uh, from the Old Testament, the ceremonial part of the law. Ablution is, uh, A-B-L-U-T-I-O-N, is when uh, the Jews were to wash their hands it, for several different times. It was like when Moses was promoted as a priest. He got a promotion and a ceremony was to wash his hands. Number two, when priests uh, approached an altar, oftentimes in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, a priest was given per, uh, specific instructions to sprinkle blood here, to kill an animal a certain way. But they were, when they approached the altar of God, they were to wash their hands. Uh, the third thing, when they did, uh, they came in contact with certain things. You remember in Leviticus 12 to 15, I think there's 11 different things. When you touch a dead body, you need to go wash your hands. When, you, uh, when you've touched something that was unclean, somebody might have had leprosy or a disease. They were commanded to do a ceremonial washing. Uh, another one, when a person tried to absolve themselves, in other words, to prove, I don't have anything to do with this and I'm not guilty, they washed their hands. Can you think of anybody? Pontius Pilate, Jesus brought before him and Pilate says, I found no fault in this man and he called for a basin of water and he washed his hands trying to wash himself of the guilt of delivering Jesus to be crucified. So the washing of hands was a familiar thing of the Old Testament. But I want you to know that what these guys are pointing out is not God's word. They are traditions. They are not commandments from God. They are traditions of men. If I sent around a piece of paper here tonight and ask you... Would you please write down the traditions that you know of that are in churches? We could write down a hundred of them, I'll bet. And some of those traditions are good. I love to go back when a church is celebrating a hundred years of being a church and to see all the things God has done in that time. I love that. Traditions can be really good. Traditions can be really bad. And in the Mishnah or the Talmud, Those were the oral traditions of Israel. It is not the law. It's not the Pentateuch. It's not the the law that Moses copied on the stones in Deuteronomy, (coughs) giving the law the second time. It is oral traditions. 
It would be like you've got your Bible. Does anybody have a big Bible on your coffee table anymore? Does anybody do that? What do we do with all our big Bibles? We've got something about this big, don't we? Uh, it'd be like having your Bible right there in your living room, but then your Aunt Susie and Uncle Bill tell you about when we were little, we did this at Christmas time and we would put this up. I think about our Christmas. My mother did her best to make Christmas a magical time for us. We didn't have a lot growing up, but she did her best. Uh, how many of you had one of those aluminum Christmas trees? Raise your hand. Yeah. I'm not too sure that that wasn't some alien uh, something put in there. It, did you have that little wheel, the color wheel that went around too? I watched that for hours when I was a little boy. Just thinking this is the most amazing thing. Tradition. I told my wife when we got married and I said, my mother always had a little candle, a candle about this big, a Santa Claus candle. We always burned it. We always got that wavy uh, kind of candy at Christmas time, that ribbon candy. And every time I mentioned one of those things, the next Christmas it showed up. Traditions are fun to remember. But traditions can be our preferences and our preferences, if we elevate them to a position they're not going to be, and this passage is going to make it very clear in a minute, they become very divisive. Can I ask you the question here today? Is our country divided? Is there anything else that we need to divide over? Because we've done it just about everything. We've got to be careful that we don't divide over preferences. Uh, I've got a good friend. I won't mention who it is here. Maybe I'll ask him to come speak one of these Sunday evenings. But we were talking not long ago and he said, I want to tell you something. By God's power, I will not divide my family, my church, my friends, or anyone over preferences. Now, if we obey God's word and some don't obey God's word, there's a division right there, right? And that is a division the Holy Spirit makes. It's not something we make. But he said, I will not divide over preferences. Now, no doubt there are things that you hold very important in your life. I hope we all hold God's word. But if they are extra biblical things, you may be very strong in your opinion about that. Don't change your opinion. If it's wholesome, right, and good, you hold to that opinion. But we've got to be careful we don't look at the other people and exclude them, judge them, and separate from them because they don't do like we do. I had an uncle that retired from General Motors after 40 years of service in the Arlington uh, area. 40 years, General Motors. And whenever he came to visit, we would look out in our houses in the, in the driveways and if we had a Toyota or we had a, a Nissan or we had a Dodge, we had to go hide it because Uncle Irby was coming and he didn't want those terrible other things that are no good uh, in our family. It had to be General Motors and we laughed and we laughed and laughed about that. Have your preferences. I've got some too. But make sure you don't divide over people's opinions. Look what he says. He goes on to describe this very clearly. Verse three, does your Bible have a parenthesis there before four? Uh, 
I'm sure you know this book of Mark is a Jew writing to Gentiles. So often Mark is going to describe something that a, a Gentile wouldn't understand about the Jews. And that's what's in this parenthesis. He's going to stop and say, let me tell you about this washing. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. Notice that again. It doesn't say to, uh, observing the commandments of God, but it's the traditions of the older people that have gone before them. That's why he put that in that. Uh, it's going to go a little bit further still in that parenthesis. He's describing to a Gentile what Jews do. It's very important to these Jewish people to wash cups, to wash pots, to wash their hands. It's a tradition that they've done. Beware, Mike, of making our preferences hills to die on. Now, I'm not here to offend anybody tonight, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to offend other churches, but I just want to tell you this. Let me give you some examples. Uh, our music style. Man, I'm thankful for Denton Bible. I love the music here. I love the music in other churches, a lot of them. Uh, but how many churches do you know of have divided over the style of music? Boy, that's one that everybody is right now tempted to do. I sat with an older gentleman and, and one time and he was talking about, this is years ago, asking me to come and maybe be their pastor. And he said, I'll tell you what, we're going to have this good old music. And then I'd sit with some of these young people and they were saying, we're just going to get rid of that old music. We're going to have this new music. And Well, there's some good in both. We've got to be careful we don't make our preferences heels to die on. Let me offend people more. The clothes that we wear, the school preferences, the way we raise our children. Does everybody agree on how to raise a child? Have you gotten, Carly, have you gotten a lot of uh, advice from other people? Has it always been the same or does everybody, we've got a lot of different opinions, don't we? We've got to be careful. As long as it's wholesome, right, and good and you're not killing the child, it's going to be okay. It may not be the way my mama did it or my daddy did it, but it shouldn't be a hill to die on. Music style, clothes we wear, school preferences, child rearing, mask or vaccination. Okay, I just wanted to make sure nothing gets thrown. Uh, do, what, do what you want, do, what you care, do what's in your conscience, do what's in your heart. But please, we can't divide over that. I loved my friend saying that. I will not divide my family, my friends, my church over preferences. If God's word says do it, we all need to do it. Do what otherwise, in Romans, Paul writes that, and it says do what you do before God. Have your own heart before God. Hear from him what he wants you to do. In the Old Testament, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's what we've got to do. As for you and your house, you do it the way you want to. Let me go further. Uh, mask or vaccinate. Stand up for songs or sit down for songs. Do you know you can go to some churches and Mark, if you sit down on one of those hymns, you are going to hell because you don't sit down on him. You got to stand up on them. I had a man furious one time because there were four verses of the song and we only sang three of them. And it was like you can't get to heaven unless you get all four verses. Those are preferences. We shouldn't make them hills to die on. Whether you have an invitation at the end of the service, my goodness, 
There's some people, they will point their finger at others because you do it one way and some do it another way. Whether you have a choir or a praise team, whether it's cold or hot, or, are you guys cold here this evening? I know you are, uh-huh. I saw one of the biggest arguments I ever saw in the church growing up over the color of carpet that they wanted to put down. Now, how in the world are we going to be salt and light, a witness to the rest of the people that we have this salvation that Jesus has bought and paid for us and we are Christians and we're so grateful for what he's done, but we better put the right color carpet in there. My goodness. I didn't know adults could yell that loud in church. You know, you're supposed to have communion every Sunday. I had a little sweet lady who was 84 years old in the very first church I pastored. And she came walking up. She was about this big. I mean, about as big as that guitar right there. She was, she was not big at all. Named Flora Louder. Drove this little bitty car. And she came up to me and her eyebrows were down. Can you see the, me doing that? Her eyebrows were down. She said, we need to have communion every, sun, every Sunday. And I said, that'd be good. You could have communion every day. There's nothing wrong with that. She says, no, it says in the Bible, we must have communion every Sunday. And I said, Miss Flora, go home and find that verse for me and bring it back next Sunday because I want to see it. Well, she came back to church the next Sunday and her eyebrows were the same. And she walked up to me and she said, it's not in there. (laughs) She'd been taught that when she was young. That was her tradition. Somebody had elevated that, sadly, that lady. You want to hear how we can divide? The same sweet lady. Uh, She was so cute. She was so cool. She was a cool grandmother. Uh, That same lady that said she was taught by that pastor of the church she grew up in, you must have communion every Sunday. It's in the Bible, and it's not. Be okay to do that. I visited her in the hospital when she was sick one time and she was crying or sad. And I said, Miss Flora, what's the matter? And she said, oh, I'm just sad. And I said, why? And I knew her husband, but she said, I want to tell you what happened to me in 1942, 41, 42. I was married before and my husband went to the military and I never saw him again. He didn't die. He just divorced me and left me and I've never seen him again. And I married, Roy was this man's name, and she'd been married to him now for 40 or 5 or 50 years. And I said, what are you sad about? And she said, because my minister growing up told me that I cannot go to heaven because I'm divorced and I will not be able to go to heaven. Now guys, from the time she was 40-something years old to the time she was 85 years old, a man had told her something wrong, not biblical, uh, not at all on God's word. You can have a biblical reason for divorce. You can be free to marry again. She had one. Her husband abandoned her in the 1940s, and she'd been living 45 years with the pain and the suffering of what a man told her that was incorrect. That's why I have to be careful. You need to be careful. If we're going to have a hill to die on, make sure it's God's word and not our preferences, not our our way of thinking, not our ideas. It said the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat lest they carefully wash their hands. In the Greek right there, when it talks about washing their hands, it's kind of a strange phrase. It means with your fist. And what it's talking about is 
wash them good. Did any of your, your moms ever tell you, I want you to, I want you to wash, uh, make sure when you take a bath, wash behind your ears. I'll never forget when I was a little boy one time, my mother said, all right, make sure you, you uh, take a bath. I want, you to, I want you to get clean. She called in there and said, are you through? And I said, yes, I'm through. She looked in there and there wasn't a bit of soap in the water. <laughs> I'd forgotten to use soap. My mother was pretty sharp. She said, I think you need to do it again and use a little soap this time. It actually means, it's like a doctor. You know, a doctor or nurse does just wipe their hands like this and they scrub up because they don't want any infection. They don't want any kind of germs that could get there. And that's what these guys are saying. The Jews wash their hands and they wash it all the way up to the elbow. They wash it with vigor because that's what you're supposed to do. Thus observing the traditions of the elders. Have you ever heard somebody tell you seven deadly words for the church? That's the way we've always done it. The way we've always done it can be great. But we don't have to do things the way we've always done it. We can get in a rut. We can follow a tradition and not follow the commandment of God. Let's look a little further. Verse four. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Uh, Corey, how many other laws did they have? Didn't they have like 613? Okay, Corey says yes. (laughs) Uh, I think they they added 613 of traditions that they portrayed as laws of God. They weren't God's law. They were their preferences. They were... Some of them probably good things to do, but they were taught as thus saith the Lord. How many of you grew up in a church and you had to use a certain version of the scripture? You had to, because if you didn't, some of them get very, very clear on that. You go to the same place as other people. Uh, Guys, we've got to be careful. I'd be careful that we don't elevate our preferences. If I ask you here tonight, I'm going to buy all of you supper. Don't record this, please. Uh, but I want to buy all of you supper and I want to take your order tonight. Are our orders for food, your favorite food, going to be the same? I'll probably have a hundred different orders, different kinds of food, because we have different likes. We have different dislikes. And those things are okay. Were Peter and John as apostles, were they the same personality? I think about Peter and oh my goodness, I relate to him sometimes. Peter was always opening his mouth, getting in trouble, making a mistake and having to say, Lord, wash all of me then. I, I don't even know what I'm talking about. You remember when Jesus was on the cross and he looked down at his own mother, he did not say, Peter, take care of my mama. And there's a reason why. He didn't entrust his own mama with Peter. He entrusted his own mama with John because he knew John would take care of her. Verse four, when they come from the marketplace, there's many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as washing cups, pitchers, and copper pots. End of parenthesis. That is the, the Jew's explanation to a Gentile about washing. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And I believe this group of spies 
the not the pulpit committee that was trying to catch Jesus in something and thought we've got him. His disciples didn't do what a good Jew would do. Just like Tommy says, you know, it's not really smart to argue with a deity. Someone that was, uh, before the foundation of the world was ever made, he was pre-existing in eternity with God the Father. They thought they had caught him in something, but notice what Jesus says. He said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Now Jesus was the kindest person that ever walked the face of the earth. He had more compassion than anyone, but he also told the truth. And when people were against God and God's word, Jesus called it like it was. He was not politically correct. He was not governmentally sanctioned. He told it like it was. You're hypocrites, just like Isaiah had said 600 years earlier. Riley, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it's written? This people honors me with their lips. They're going to say they're of God. They're God's people. They're religious. But he said, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. We've got to be very careful that we don't judge like people judge instead of asking God's to judge and what he says is right. And notice what he ended up saying in verse eight they do. Neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. Traditions. They can be good or they can be bad. I'll show you how dangerous it can be. We are sitting here tonight in a Protestant church. 500 years ago, God used one man and some other people to say that we need to go back to the scripture. Martin Luther, we need to go back to Thus saith the Lord, sola scriptura. And our faith is not in our works. We can't earn our salvation. Now, if you are saved, you got different works. You'll want to do what's right. But you don't do what's right in works to get saved. To get saved is a work God does for us that we can't do for ourselves. And Martin Luther said, we need to go back to God's word. The just shall live by faith. Salvation is a work of Jesus Christ, a gift to you and me, not of works. But what is the Catholics, what do they say? The Catholics will say, we have three different things we hold to. We hold to scripture, they say. They don't hold to the same Bible often that we do. The second thing is they hold to tradition. What has the church done before us? And the third thing is they say their papa or their pope. They put all three of those things on the same level, our tradition of the church, the Bible, and the Pope, and they claim that they're all infallible. Now, there's just a lot of problem with that because the traditions of the Catholics have changed over the years. So what does that mean about all those who have a different tradition now that don't hold to the same tradition that the Catholics did before? If it's unalterable and if it's above reproach and if it is on the same level as uh, the scripture, then what about the changes they've made? What about the Pope? If he's considered infallible, what about when he sins? What about when he changes his mind? What about when he passes something that a Pope before him didn't say and he says something different? You see what doors it can open up to if we hold on to something other than Sola Scriptura. 
We've got one standard, one place to find out what God tells us is right and wrong. That's the Bible. And I'm glad. I'm glad we don't have to follow several different people's opinions and paths. We have one. Jesus said on that day in the Gospel of John, you'll be judged by the word which I've spoken. That's what we're going to stand up next to, the word of God. And uh, only if we're washed by the blood of Christ, forgiven of our sins, will be, we be able to stand in that day. He said, they honor with me with their lips, but their heart's far from me. Probably all of us have known people in our lives that talk a good game. You know what I'm talking about? Whatever it is, they sound like they're doing the right thing. They got their head on straight. They are, they are got it all together. But we find out in a little while they don't. They could talk, but they couldn't walk. And Jesus said, someone that tells someone else how close they are to God or how far somebody else is away from God, you're a hypocrite. How many of you have uh, had a, a get-together at your house and you say, I just want to invite all the hypocrites I know because they're so fun to be around. They're going to come tell me everything I'm doing wrong and they won't do it themselves. I have never heard about a, a celebration at someone's house for hypocrites because we don't like being around them. We don't like to, somebody else to tell us what to do and they won't do it them, themselves. Jesus said, the Jewish leaders, you're hypocrites. And he says, for in vain you worship me. Now, wait a minute. We can have vain, worthless worship. I want to ask you here tonight, let's just be real open and honest. Could you be here tonight? Could I be here tonight? And, and the music guys play some good music that people can worship the Lord and be tuned into him and get ready to study God's word. But my heart's not right with the Lord. Can I stand up when I'm supposed to? Can I raise my hands when I want to? Can I sing those songs? Can I say, God bless you, brother and sister, and walk out of here and my heart not be right? That's what he was saying to them. You honor me with your lips. You're talking a good game, but your heart. And guys, if you're here tonight, uh, churches forever have divided over someone walking in that doesn't look the same. My goodness, we've had in our church people walk in that might not have had a bath in a long time and if we're not careful we judge them in our mind and our thoughts we separate ourselves from them we won't, don't want to get involved with them and you know they may be the very people God brought into our presence that day for a divine appointment for us to tell them about Jesus we've got to be careful or we could end up just like this group here uh, we must not honor God with our words, but not our life. We can't talk a good name. I heard somebody, I grew up in cowboy country, and uh, this person said, yeah, that's a cowboy. He's got a hat, but he doesn't have any cows. And what they meant was, he looks like a cowboy, but he's not. He's just putting on a show, looking like one. Look at verse nine. He was also saying to them, you are experts. Now, it should be a good thing to be an expert, but not in this group. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And that's the crux of this passage. You guys would rather keep your tradition and disobey God's word. You don't care about what the Bible says. You care about what your daddy's told you, your mama's told you, and what you feel like doing in your own preferences. Uh, setting aside is the Greek word, A-T-H-E-T-E-O. And it means to rebel. 
It means to reject. To reject the word of God, the commandment of God, in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put, put to death. You know, how many times have you ever been, heard somebody say that the preacher stopped preaching and went to what? Meddling. Because <laughs> when preaching is for everybody else and points out everybody else's faults, it's easy to say amen. But when, preacher, when preaching hits us, it's a little more difficult. I've been in services before. My little brother has. I watched it right there in his life also where God so used the preached word and it convicted our hearts so much it was like nobody else was even in the place because the Holy Spirit was talking to us. He said, let me give you an example. The scripture says, honor your father and mother. He who speaks evil, father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, and what they did was they found, they made a loophole in God's commandment. They put a, they did theological gymnastics they twisted God's word and look how they did it. If a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. What they got, came up with is uh, a man should take care of his mom and dad. But the religious leader said, I tell you what, the money and resources that you would spend taking care of your mom and daddy we're going, to, we're going to set up something called Corbin. And all you have to do is say, I'm going to donate that money to the church, to the synagogue, to the Jewish leaders. I'm going to dedicate that money to God and you don't have to take care of your mom and daddy. A loophole, isn't it? Sounded pretty good for somebody. You know what ended up happening? They dedicated that money to God, but they didn't give it to the religious leaders either. They kept it for themselves, didn't take care of their mom and daddy. Look what God says they end up doing. Look what Jesus said. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition. In other words, you make the Bible of none effect. You discount the word of God and you replace it with a tradition. And I want to tell you, churches have done that throughout church history over and over and over again. And that's why we divide and divide and divide and divide. Because we raise up something we think. That's usually when we, the, the, the clue to when we get in trouble. I thought, whenever we say that, we need to check it because we've got to find out what God says. He goes on to say there, you are invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you've handed down and you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd to him again, he began to say to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is showing them it's not the food you eat or whether you eat with hands that have been washed a certain way. It's what's in your heart. It's what's down in the well. Because what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. He's warning them, you can eat food and haven't washed your hand and that does not change your heart. Verse 14, he called the crowd, nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. And verse 17, 
When he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. He said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared, there's a parenthesis again, right? Here's a Jew speaking to a Gentile. Thus he declared all foods clean. Sometimes read Acts 11 again when Peter saw that great vision of a sheet coming down from heaven and he saw animals of all kinds and God said to him, arise, kill and eat, Peter. Peter said, not so, I've never eaten these unclean animals. And God said, what I've cleansed, don't call common. God's doing a new thing now in the New Testament. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that's what defiles. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts Can we blame it on the friends we run with? Now, the friends we run with can't affect us, but God's saying here, it's not what comes out toward us, it's what's on the inside that comes out. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. Evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. I love illustrations and stories as I close tonight. But uh, I heard that illustration. I might have told you before, I want to repeat it though, of a church similar to what we have. And many people, church people, familiar, they knew their, their friends and church that morning. But while the preacher was preaching, a very unkempt man, uh, unkept, he was... Long, uh, scraggly hair. He hadn't had a bath in a long time. His clothes were not, uh, not clean. They, they were old and ragged. And he came in the back doors of the church while the preacher's preaching. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of churches that have the deacons ready for that. <laughs> They'll just go and greet that person, give him the right hand of fellowship, and a lot of times usher him right back out of the church. Let's be honest, that's what happens. But he made it past the deacons evidently that Sunday morning and he came down the aisle of the church and they said he came to the middle aisle. He went right down in front of the church and he came and sat right on the steps in front of the preacher preaching. When things like that happen, do we hear what the preacher's preaching? We normally don't, don't we? We just focus on what in the world is gonna happen here? Well, sure enough, one of those deacons in a three-piece suit stood up, had a gold cane with him, by the way, from the back of the church, and here he came. And I can just see some of us in our church thinking, well, he's gonna take care of this situation. This guy's disrupted this good sermon this preacher's preaching. I know he's gonna take care of that. Well, that man came, and he walked right down the middle aisle too. Gold cane, three-piece suit, deacon of the church, he's gonna handle it. And the story goes that he came, walked right up there, looked at that man, put out his hand and shook his hand and sat down on the step right beside him, put his arm around him for all the rest of the whole sermon. See, that's what God wants. He wants our heart. It's not the outward appearance. He warns us to not judge people by the outward appearance. Does that mean I'm saying that you shouldn't bathe until next Sunday night and all of you come in here and have not bathed for a week? No, that's not what we're talking about. But I'll bet not everyone has a nice place to go home to tonight like we do, do they? Is that right, Carrie?
Not everybody does, do they? Jesus warns, be careful. It's not what comes on the outside. It's not traditions. It's not washing your hands. It's not the food you eat. It's what comes out of your heart. Do you love like Jesus does? Do you obey God because you love him? Do you care for others and lay down your life for them? Those are the things that matter. God wants our hearts a whole lot more than a lot of these other things. So I want to encourage you. This passage tells us what's way down inside of our heart. Those are the things we've got to let the Lord take care of because what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And we got to make sure Jesus makes the well clean so what comes out of our life are good things, wholesome things, encouragement to others, love to others. And if you need to put your arm around somebody that doesn't smell very good and doesn't look like you and doesn't talk like you, I promise you, it will not hurt you at all. And you'll go home later saying, thank you, Jesus. Because you know what Jesus could have done? He could have looked at my sin and said, no, I don't want to put my arm around you because you're a sinner. This passage is a great passage to make me go look in the mirror when I get home. Say, how you doing, Mike? It's not the things on the outside. Be careful we don't divide over preferences. You remember the Bible says, why don't you put others ahead of yourself? You want to see a church that probably will get on fire for the Lord? Uh, the young people will say, let's just hear some of that other music like you want. And the older people will say, well, let's just hear some of this new music too. And put others ahead and all of a sudden, God might get happy and just bless that church. Make sure we don't cause our preferences to be tr- the, the word of God. And we replace the word of God with traditions. What's down in the well, Mike, comes up in the bucket. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that Jesus just tells the truth. These Scribes and Pharisees, they were clean on the outside. Another place in the Bible, you said they're they're clean. They wash themselves the outside of the cup, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. Help us to not be like that, Lord. Help me to be humble. Help me to put others ahead of myself. Help me to realize that my preferences, although I have them as other people have, that I need to be always subject to your word. That's what unites us. What does your word say? And help me not to divide from one other person. Help me to be like that friend of mine that says, by God's power, I will not divide over anything that is a preference and it's not God's word. Help me to be like that, Lord. And I just pray here tonight, if there's somebody that's never been saved, Uh, Just like I was, Lord, their inside is full of all kinds of sin. But that's what you died for on that cross, to wash us on the inside and make us clean. Lord, would you let them come and let us pray with someone here tonight so that they can know what's down in the well is something good because you've given that salvation. Thank you for this passage tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.